Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. The giant tortoises of the Galapagos Archipelago are iconic. In fact, they're possibly the most famous evolutionary radiation in the world. But that doesn't mean that we've learnt everything there is to know about them, and hidden within museum collections lie genetic clues that could reshape our entire understanding of this system. What do I mean? Well, let's find out, as we hear from the lead author behind the recent heredity paper, a new lineage of Galapagos giant tortoise identified from museum samples. Can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Evelyn Jensen. I'm a lecturer in molecular ecology at Newcastle University in the UK, and my pronouns are she, her. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here to talk about your research, and it is on the iconic Galapagos turtles. So I wanted to start if you could just introduce us to your system and tell us why you think it's interesting. Well, the Galapagos is an archipelago of volcanic islands in the Pacific Ocean, about 900 kilometers off the west coast of South America, right smack dab at the equator. And the Galapagos is special because it's really the conceptual home of evolutionary biology. This is where Charles Darwin began to formulate his ideas about evolution through natural selection. And the giant tortoises that are endemic to the Galapagos are perhaps the most charismatic, uh, (laughs) you know, endemic fauna that are there. They're interesting from an evolutionary perspective because they are a radiation, which means that they arrived to the archipelago and then diversified into multiple species as they colonized each of the islands. So there's 14 described species plus one more species that we know about that's undescribed and extinct. And there's typically one species per island, uh, with a few exceptions, where there's multiple species on an island, but they live in allopatry, meaning that they're in different parts of the island. So the Galapagos tortoises, evolutionary, very interesting, but they're also of great conservation concern. They were highly exploited and presently have a population size that's just 10% of what it would have been historically. Mm, yeah, fascinating. I mean, anyone who's done any kind of biology or evolution class will be very familiar with this system, I'm sure. And they are already pretty well studied. So I'm really curious about what it is that you specifically set out to investigate in the study. Well, the focus of this study was San Cristobal Island, which is one of the first islands that was colonized by the tortoises, because it's one of the older islands in the archipelago. And the population of tortoises on this island, which we call Chilenoidus chathamensis, was reduced to only about 700 individuals in the mid-20th century, but it since recovered to over 6,000. And these tortoises, they only survived in the northeastern part of the island, which consists of arid, dry, lowland habitat. But there are records that tortoises previously lived across a broader part of the island, including in the central and southwestern highland environments. But the tortoises in these areas were hunted to extinction before the 1930s. And there's speculation in some of these historical texts that these highland tortoises may actually have been a different species than those that live in the northern part on the lowlands. But for a long way, there wasn't you know, a route to address this question to see if there actually had been more than one species of tortoise on San Cristobal. But back in 1905, there was a huge expedition by the California Academy of Sciences to collect natural history specimens from all around the Galapagos. 
And over the course of a couple of years, they ended up collecting tens of thousands of specimens, including hundreds of giant tortoises. And when these explorers visited San Cristobal, they found only one living tortoise, uh, which they collected. But key for our study is that they also found a cave in the central part of the island that contained the remains of tortoises that had fallen into the cave and naturally perished. And so they collected some of the bones from this cave and actually ended up using one of them as the holotype specimen for the species Chilonoidus chathamensis. Now, these explorers didn't actually make it up to the northeastern part of the island where the tortoises currently live. So we have these bones from the cave and we use these to assess, you know, whether there was perhaps any difference in the tortoises that were living on the island. So we can compare these historical specimens to the population of tortoises that are currently living on the island. Mm, fantastic. So it's a really fun system that you're getting involved with. And obviously, as you were saying there, these collected samples are really important. So I'm really curious about what you actually did in the study, because I know museum samples played a really important role. Yeah. So, I mean, these bones are from tortoises that were naturally deceased. They were in this cave for hundreds of years before they were collected. So they're actually in really poor condition. They're dry and crumbly, quite damaged. Um, so for this, we want to extract DNA. And so we used micro CT scans to try and identify on these bones, where are they the most dense? Because that's where likely the DNA is the best preserved. So we did these scans and then we cut out the pieces of bone that were the most dense and extracted DNA from these particular sections. And then we got DNA that was usable for sequencing the mitochondrial control region. And we tried and tried to also genotype microsatellites from these cave specimens. But ultimately, uh, we were unsuccessful just because the DNA from them is just far too damaged. But having the control region sequences still gave us something to work with to be able to compare to the living population today. And so we have a lot of blood samples from individuals on the island today. So we sequenced more than 120 of those for the control region. And we were also able to genotype them at 21 microsatellites and then over 12,000 SNPs using DDRAD. Um, and we did that for 64 individuals to look at patterns across the nuclear genome. I should say we also used radiocarbon dating uh, with one of the cave specimens to try and figure out how old was it? You know, how long was this tortoise bone in the cave? And the result is about 1500 AD. Wow. So it was probably sitting there for about 400 years before it was picked up and brought to the museum. And you can still get DNA from it. Um, it still blows my mind. I mean, we can get the DNA, but a large proportion of what you extract is not tortoise DNA. And then the pieces you do have are very broken, you know, to small pieces. So that's the challenge with working with these specimens. Mm, I mean, it, it does sound like a bit of a challenge, but I'm really curious about what you found from these samples. So what did you find in terms of the genetic diversity of tortoises on this island? I mean, the key finding is that the mitochondrial haplotypes for these cave specimens are highly distinct from the haplotype that's in the living population. And in fact, when we build a phylogenetic tree, the cave lineage isn't even the sister taxon to the living population. Instead, the cave tortoises are more closely related to the species from Española and Pinta Islands. And then we can use the divergent states of the different species that we've estimated in previous studies to see that the common ancestor of the cave and the living lineages diverged probably about 700,000 years ago. So the tortoises that died falling into the cave are a totally different lineage from the tortoises that live on the island today. But we also have a specimen that was collected alive in 1906, which was found near the cave. 
And this individual has a haplotype that's very close to the one that survives on the island today. And so it seems that these two lineages were likely sympatric. So they were living in close proximity, at least somewhat recently, uh, which sort of begs the question of, well, is there any trace of this other lineage carrying on in the population today? which is where all the samples from the living population come in. But we did not find that there's any evidence of introgression, population subdivision, or any trace of this extinct lineage still persisting in the contemporary population. So uh, sort of what what happened to it? First of all, I mean, the question is, how did it arise that we have two distinct lineages on the same island? And then how did one end up going extinct? Or, you know, how did it live in sympatry with this other population without interbreeding at all. Yeah, but I want to be clear that, you know, for this study, we're only able to get data from the mitochondrial control region for these cave specimens. And we don't have any data from nuclear genetic markers, despite, you know, our best efforts. So we're not able to determine the level of divergence between the lineages, or to see whether, you know, these mitochondrial lineages are actually distinct at nuclear loci. So we're not taking the leap to say, you know, this is a new species that we found. We're just saying it's a distinct lineage and we need to collect data from the nuclear genome, which is something we're working on uh, using techniques such as whole genome enrichment and lots and lots of high throughput sequencing to try and get more data to look at, you know, how diverged are these lineages at these nuclear loci and just try and get more data that we can use to piece together the story. Mm, fantastic. It sounds very complicated, but I wonder what these results are telling us about the radiation of giant tortoises in the Galapagos, because it sounds as though maybe some of these results aren't what you'd necessarily expect. Yeah, I mean, and that I think is the important lesson we're learning here is that if we're just looking at the populations that have survived to the present day, we're missing some important pieces of the puzzle for reconstructing the evolutionary patterns. So, I mean, as you mentioned, the Galapagos tortoises are a relatively well-studied system, but now we need to reanalyze and rethink the evolutionary history of the radiation to try and piece in this new lineage to say, you know, where did it arise? How did it end up on San Cristobal Island? How does that fit into the biogeographic history and the colonization patterns of the archipelago? Mm. It's, it's some very good questions. And I wonder what you think the sort of key message in this paper is. So what is it that you're hoping people are going to come away from this paper thinking about? I think it's a, it's a good lesson for us that, you know, just when we think we have the story worked out, we looked at some dusty old bones in a museum, and now we're potentially having to do a major rethink of our understanding of how uh, these species arose and colonize the Galapagos archipelago. And so, you know, we have to recognize that we may not actually have all the pieces of the puzzle. And what do we do? How do we incorporate new data and, you know, revisit our understanding of things? Mm, Definitely. I I always find it incredible what a valuable resource museum collections actually are, like even for genetic studies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, historical specimens are hugely valuable for evolutionary research. And without you know, these bones from the cave, we may never have been able to test, you know, whether this rumor that there used to be two species of tortoise on San Cristobal were true. So yeah, I mean, we're still working with these bones from the cave, but also dozens of other historical samples of Galapagos tortoise that were collected, you know, on various expeditions. And these are allowing us to assess a whole broad range of like really exciting questions about the evolutionary history of the tortoises, as well as providing important data for conservation. 
So I can't overemphasize how important these museum specimens uh, have been and then will also continue to be as we keep researching this system. Fantastic. And I very much look forward to reading some of those later papers. But right now, hopefully people will go and check out this paper because it is really interesting and it is just such an iconic system. It's great to learn more about it. And just to finish up, I wonder if you could just remind us what your paper is called and also give a call out to any of your co-authors or anyone else who helped bring us this work. The title of the paper is A New Lineage of Galapagos Giant Tortoises Identified from Museum Samples. This paper is co-authored by a large group of folks that have almost all passed through the lab of the senior author, Gisela Kakone at Yale University. So there's a number of us that have been postdocs working with her over the years. So the very first analysis of the cave bones was actually done more than a decade ago, which produced, you know, the first hints of these tantalizing results. But it took persistence over the years to get all the data together for this study, including visiting San Cristobal to collect more specimens from the living population. So yes, I definitely want to give a shout out to the whole family of tortoise researchers who've always been such a great team of collaborators to work with, as well our collaborators in the Galapagos at the National Park, as well as the Giant Tortoise Restoration Initiative. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for joining me to tell us about your research. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Evelyn. You can find her paper on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash HDY. While you're there, you can also check out how to submit your own papers to the journal. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 